it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're jumping into Chapter 40, Demone. Um, but before we go into that, just a quick recap of the last uh, chapter slash episode. Um, Leandrin Sedai of the Red Aja has basically grabbed um, Egwene, Nynaeve, and without intending to also Min and Elaine and basically took them through the ways to go help Rand, Matt, Parent, etc. Um, and they had just reached the uh, final destination of the way gate when the last chapter ended. Um, so here at chapter 40, it, it's, a little bit longer than the normal chapters and I've not really ever found it to be personally super exciting, but it does have a lot of like lore based stuff in it. All right. When I say a lot, I mean, compared to some of the other stuff, um, we get culture from some other cultures, I should say that we haven't heard too much about a little bit more in detail in terms of like armor, weapons, uh, clothing, style of hair, that kind of stuff. Um, but <laughs> I guess we'll just jump into it. You can see a little bit more about that. So if it's not something that you're finding like super, super hyper exciting or whatnot, it's just the way it's, it's, it's depicted for the story aspect to pull things together. Um, it's not going to necessarily be a slow story the entire time. There are a couple exciting points in it, but it's not like, you know, the last ride of the Rohirrim or anything. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so chapter 40 of Demane starts out with, in Egwene's point of view, and, you know, they're dismounting as the way gate's opening, and Leandrin's, you know, motioning them to, like, go on, let's go through, and they lead everything out, and everything seems to kind of move slowly, but then there's like these really thick shrubs nearby and it's kind of a hidden way gate, but it's a little bit different than Tarvalin considering they're literally on the other side of the continent. And they kind of stand there for a minute and then she notices that there's other people just on the other side of the gate. And she kind of just stares at them, not knowing who they were since it was just a strange group. She's not really sure. Like, she could ever see a stranger group, but um, there were a lot of rumors about the war on Tomon Head. And here comes the first kind of descriptions that we kind of see, so I'm kind of just going to read this and point out things. Armored men, at least 50 of them, with overlapping steel plates down their chests and dull black helmets shaped like insects' heads, sat their saddles or stood beside their horses staring at her and the emerging women, staring at the waygate, muttering among themselves. Now, this gives us an idea of what these soldiers are. Now, for anyone who is familiar with the previous 
episodes and chapters and stuff of everything we've gone through so far, you know who this is. The reader is aware of who this is because they've been referenced specifically of the the insect head-like helmets. Um, you know who this is, but the characters don't, which is why it's kind of pulling in from their perspective. In their perspective, they don't know who it is, so they see these kind of like insect, insect head-like helmets. And they, there's no real context for those characters to understand what is actually going on. But just like the previous or like the previous book and the previous chapters of this book, we the readers know more about the overall what's going on because we're seeing it from several different points of view. We're seeing the interactions from several points of view. But this particular character has not seen it, so it's describing what they are seeing because we're following their character. Not our character, not somebody else's character, specifically their character. And while it seems repetitive, like, oh, look, there's more. Like, why don't they just say it's the Shan-Chan? Well, that's kind of a silly thing to go for because they don't know it's the Shan-Chan. We, the readers, know it's the Shan-Chan, so we're like, oh, okay. So you take the previous... Um, descriptions of these right, these people from this culture that we're not really super hyper familiar with because it's only given us bits and pieces so far and you overlay them so now we know that they have overlapping steel plates down their chests we didn't know if they wore chain mail we didn't know if they wore plate mail we didn't know what they wore until this particular for the, at least the basic soldier uh, overlapping steel plates down their chest dull black helmets that are shaped like insect heads. Um, they've got horses, which is not anything particularly new, but they're kind of muttering about the way gate, so in their minds they're thinking like, black magic or something of that nature. Um, there's a bareheaded guy who's not wearing a helmet. He's got a hook nose, uh, gilded painted helmet on his hip. He's kind of shocked by what he's seeing, and there's also these women with them. And these women get their own descriptions for a particular reason. Two wore plain, dark gray dresses and wide silver collars and stood staring intently at those coming out of the way gate, each with another woman close behind her as if ready to speak into her ear. Two other women, standing a little apart, wore wide, divided skirts that came well short of their ankles and panels embroidered with forked lightning bolts on their bosoms and skirts. Now, I found this one to be a little weird to kind of put together because it's almost like they're talking about the same people um, because of what their setup more or less is because the whole plain dark gray dresses, wide silver collars. Now, for those who are familiar with the previous stuff, we know that these are Demone. But it's got this woman close behind her as if ready to speak into her ear. So you can deduce this is a Soldom. And we'll get into those things a little bit later because they will explain a little bit later. Um, but in terms of 
the next line, which is two other women standing a little apart and were wore wide divided skirts that came well short of their ankles and panels are with fork lightning bolts on their bosom skirts. You think these are the soldom, but I'm not really specifically sure, but they could be soldom. Uh, they could be something else. It doesn't really give much of a, an explanation to it because it makes it sound like there's two with two behind them and then these other two. So I'm not, I've had a lot of struggle trying to figure out who these other people are supposed to be. Um, but then we get this last woman who's on a palanquin that's borne by eight muscular bare chested men in baggy black trousers. Again, like Robert Jordan does a lot of what some people would say is unnecessary description, but he's just building the image. So you know what you're looking at. You're not just looking at this random imagery. Um, and in this case, this lady in the palanquin, she's got her sides of her scalp shaved that only a wide crest of black hair remained to fall down her back. So like a laid down Mohawk, essentially. <laughs> um, she's got a cream colored robe, worked in flowers and burrs, blue ovals. You can tell she's kind of important because she's got all the fancy stuff. Her fingernails were a good inch long and the first two on each hand lacquered blue. Now that's something we'll get into a little bit later. I'm, not, I don't think it really goes into detail in this particular chapter, but that's something that you kind of want to remember for later on when it is described and explained because it does explain these things. Um, so you can tell this person's a very, very important person amongst the Shan Shan. And then Egwene's kind of like unsure what's going on and kind of like not liking the situation. She's like, uh, Hey, Leandrin, do you know who these people are? And her friends are like, should we mountain run or whatever? But Leandra just, you know, puts the oven to sort of leaf back on the way gate and just, you know, walks away from it. And then she's like, oh, the high lady Suroth. So we're thinking, okay, well, this is a very, very important person that we just got this, you know, several sentences description about probably is this high lady Suroth. But Leandra makes it kind of like she's asking a question, but also making a statement. And the woman in the palagan palanquin you know nods barely he's like oh you're Le leandrin and here's some more i'm pretty sure it's been mentioned before but just to like reiterate this her speech was slurred now a lot of people who first read this were like oh a speech is slurred like a drunk or somebody who's you got some weird accent or something and robert jordan describes the accent as texan which has never made sense to me because I've never seen a Texan accent be slurred. Like the most country, most Southern accent you could possibly come across has never sounded the way they describe it in the series. And a Texan accent in a fantasy world just sounds weird. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. It's the wrong, wrong time frame. Um, also, we don't have any idea what point, like, was Arter Hawkwing Texan? That just sounds kind of weird. It's like, you know, the Knights of the Round Table and King Arthur, they were Texans. So these people who are an amalgamation of a whole bunch of cultures into one, it's, it's a melting pot, if you will. 
because the Shan Shan are basically utter Hawkwing's armies gone over and conquered a bunch of different cultures and basically merged them into one. These folks have, for whatever reason, all slurred accents is what they come across as. But if they're all from different cultures and whatnot, they technically shouldn't have all the same. But it's been a couple thousand years, so possibly haven't really gone super deep into that uh, kind of lore and breaking it down to like how they would have gotten this or whatever. I just kind of take it as Robert Jordan says, but again, it's a very weird concept, so I'm not really sure how to how to take it. I kind of, I usually just ignore it and just say oh, they have some strange slurred accent, but Texan just isn't where I'm, I go to when they say slurred, not, at least not the way Robert Jordan himself describes it. So, because of the speech being slurred, Egwene doesn't really understand it right away. Um, and Suroth kind of is mm, not taking the, the title of Leandrin Aes Sedai particularly well, and the soldier's kind of like, oh, because their viewpoint and their experience with Aes Sedai is not one in favor of the Aes Sedai, put it that way. Um... And of course, High Lady Suroth is like, well, we got to be done here quickly. They're patrols. It would not be good to be found. Um, you wouldn't enjoy the uh, attention of the Seekers for Truth. And the Seekers for Truth are first brought up in this particular part. And needless to say, the Seekers for Truth are like the ultimate authority of the Empress. So, yeah, you really, really don't want to be getting messed up with them no matter who you are in the Shanshan Empire because pretty much they walk around literally mini empresses special units I guess if you will um, but they look very very normal they're more like uh, a secret police kind of thing I'll, I'll let you figure out the rest of that as we go further along they'll explain more later on um, is like, I don't, I don't want to experience them and you don't want to experience them. So let's get this over with. I want to be back and fallen before high Lord Turok even knows I'm gone. And Nynaeve's like, what is going on? And Leandrin, you know, lays a hand on Nynaeve's shoulder and one on Egwene. He's like, these are the ones you were told. And here's another, she's the daughter heir of Andor. And the reader's picking up kind of like what's going on right now. Because we know who the Shanshan are. We know how they treat Aes Sedai. We know that, or women who can channel in general. Uh, we know what's going on, but Egwene, Nynaeve, Elaine, and Min. None of them have any idea what's going on. They're, they're completely lost right now. Um, and so two women with lightning on their dresses approach the party, and they have coils of some silvery metal in their hands. And then Egwene notices, and the bareheaded soldier comes with them. He didn't put a hand near the sword or anything. He just he has a casual smile, but Egwene kind of watches him very, very cautiously. Um, Leandrin get, has no sign of agitation. Otherwise, Egwene would have jumped onto Bella and taken off. But she asks Leandrin who the people are and are they if they're, help, if they're here to help Rand and the others. And then suddenly the hook-nosed man seizes Min and Elaine by the scruffs of their neck. And in the next instant, everything kind of happens at the same time. The man yells a curse, a woman screams, or maybe more than one woman, Egwene's not sure. Then there's this breeze becomes this gale that just whips away at Leandrin's angry shout at the clouds of dirt and leaves and 
all this going on basically makes the trees bending over. Like it's basically turning into like a mini hurricane right here, just like, or a mini tornado and just everything's being blasted with air. No idea why, no idea where it's coming from. Nothing's going on. That makes any sense. But horses rear, they whinny, and one of the women reach out and fasten something around Egwene's neck. And Elaine's just like bracing herself against the wind, but then she is tugging at this collar thing of smooth, smooth metal. So we get kind of this description of the collars. There's smooth metal. We'll get more on that at some point in the series. So don't worry too much. But it feels like one piece. Like she's trying to get it off. She's like, well, what is this? What is this? Why is this on me? But it's got to have a class somewhere. But now there's this silvery coil that the woman had carried that's going over her shoulder and another one joining on a bright bracelet on the woman's left wrist. So the Suldam showed up to attach these uh, silvery metal or silvery smooth metal collars around their necks. Or that was the intention, I should say. So, but being classed by a collar doesn't really stop Egwene from, you know, balling her fist and just punching the lady right as she could in the right eye. But then she just staggers and falls to her knees. Not the lady, herself. And it feels like a woman, or not a woman, <laughs> a large man had punched her right in the face. But then she can see finally, and the winds died, a number of horses are wandering loose. Bella and Elaine are gone, or Bella and Elaine's horses, mares, are gone. Or I should say Bella and Elaine's mare. Um, but then all these other soldiers are cursing and picking themselves off the ground, and Leandra's just calmly just brushing dirt and leaves and stuff off of her dress um min's kind of supporting herself with her hand groggily trying to rise up and the hook nose man stands over her and he's got blood dripping off of him and min's knife lays right out of her reach it's stained red along the outside so Nynaeve and elaine are nowhere to be seen and Nynaeve's mayor's gone as well but some of the soldiers were as well with one of the pairs of women and the other two are still here and Egwene's just like What's going on now to reiterate back to where we were, we have two women with the gray and silver or the gray dresses and the silver collars with two sitting behind them. And then two other women, it kind of speaks to that as being more of, uh, there were four Suldam with two Damane and then the, the two Damane or the two Suldam were there for the two women that Leandrin was bringing them. That's what it plays out to be. It's just weird that they have separate descriptions. It was kind of described in a strange way, but that's kind of how it pulls together when you read it a couple times. <laughs> that's what I'm here for, right? Woo. So the woman that Egwene punched is rubbing her cheek as she squats next to Egwene when she's got a bruise forming around her eye. But then we get a description of this lady. She has long, dark hair and big brown eyes, and she's pretty perhaps as much as 10 years older than Nynaeve. So she's probably mid thirties and uh, mid to late thirties. And she's like, well, your first lesson is that, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to punish you, but since I should have been in guard for that, since you're newly caught, 
Um, but she's speaking with no animosity and pretty much friendliness. And she's like, you are a demone, a leashed one, and I am a suldam, a holder of the leash. So a demone is a person who could channel that is collared and the person who basically controls this leashed one is a suldam, a holder of the leash. So it's basically you're leashed. I'm the one who holds your leash. Um, and then she goes on to continue with, you know, when Damani and Soldam are joined, whatever hurts the Soldam or whatever hurt the Soldam feels, the Damani feels twice over, even to death. So you must remember that you may never strike a Soldam in any way, and you must protect your Soldam even more than yourself. By the way, I am Rena. How do you call? <laughs> it's like, what? Um, so essentially, I this has benefits training it has super negative for virtually everything else <laughs> because essentially the suldam if like let's say you know suldam are walking in the street all you gotta you don't have to shoot two people you only have to shoot freaking the suldam you know arrow to the head arrow to the, anywhere kill them instantly boom you just killed both of them it's a double drop so it seems kind of like a drawback because Let's say, you know, someone's using the one power on it and they blast the ground and a rock goes up and smacks and hits the Suldam in the head. Well, you got a dead Demane as well. Like, it's double the pain. And even if you didn't kill the Suldam, you dis you basically disable the Demane for that time period because the amount of pain that they'd be feeling would be in insanely crazy. But so Rena's like, oh, how are you? And Egwene's like, I'm not what you're saying she's still trying to gather her thoughts but she's pulling at this collar but it's not moving and she was thinking a second about trying to knock her down and pry the bracelet from her wrist but seems like not not a great idea and if the soldiers didn't try to stop her they seem to be ignoring her and run out completely so she is a little bit worried and is starting to realize that the woman is probably telling the truth but she touches her left eye and it doesn't feel puffy or anything but it's She's not actually has a, bru a bruise on her face, but it's like a sensory connection and it still hurts her left eye and Rena's left eye. So she raises a voice and, you know, what's, why are you letting them do this to us, Leandrin? And Leandrin just kind of dusts her hand, doesn't even look in her direction. And Rena's like, oh, you got to learn. You got to do as you're told and without delay. So Gwen, you know, gasps as her skin feels like it's burning and it's prickled and it's like she's rolling in a bunch of stinging nettles and soles of her feet to her scalp, but she's just burning sensation. And Rena's just acting like nothing's going on. And just like, oh, many Soldam don't believe Demane should be allowed names or at least only names they are given. But I took you, so I'll be in charge of your training and I'll allow you to keep your own name. And if you don't deplete, <laughs> if you don't displease me too far, I am mildly upset with you now. Do you wish to keep on until I am angry? <laughs> it's just kind of like... Mm. Now, from the reader perspective, this is probably, like, hyper insane. Like, you're thinking, this is, like, crazy. How could you ever act like this, Rena? Like, what's going on? But you have to remember, it's a cultural difference. It's a completely different culture with completely different everything about everything. So, you can't expect the, the Sean Chan to act like, you know, Europe or, you know, America or canada or anything like that like any of the western kind of nations 
you can't expect them to act and behave like we would because they're not, for one, they're allegedly on the same planet, but they're not in the in the age or era which they'd be familiar with any of the other cultures. They've been thousands of years on the other side. Of, well, I guess yeah, thousands of years on the other side of the ocean doing their own thing and the entire world has changed multiple times on this side of the ocean so it's not like they would know anything and they come back saying why are you guys different why have you abandoned your oaths people on this side are like what the heck are you even talking about i don't even know what you're mentioning like and this that's one of the silly things i brought up in one of the other episodes is basically the sean chan expect everyone on this side of the continent to be the same people they conquered and not be somebody else. Like, let's say the Shan Shan, they were still Arter Hawkwing's armies, left. And another force, not the Shan Shan, not Arter Hawkwing's armies, comes in and conquers all of this continent. And then eventually that empire breaks down and breaks up into multiple groups. Potentially, it could be a whole like reset or a wipe of everyone on the continent with a whole new people group there that have no idea what's going on because their people are not these people. So it's kind of like a big major assumption on the Sean Chan's part, which doesn't make much sense because they assume that everyone here was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of these people that you're talking about. Like, yeah, I, I totally know everything you're talking about. Nobody has any idea, but one side really held on to the oaths and such. The other side didn't really have any particular usage of it. So, but needs to say, <laughs> sorry, little ranting on that part because it doesn't make sense to me. But Egwene's kind of just like, Egwene, I am Egwene Alvier. And then the burning itch is gone. And she's like, whoo. And Renna's like, oh, Egwene's a good name. And Egwene's horrified because Renna pats her on the head as she would a dog. And then she realized well, that's what she had detected. A certain goodwill for a dog in training not the friendliness one might have towards another human being, just towards a pet. So I was like, well, if you're even, and it's like, now you're even more upset. And if you tend to strike me, remember to make it a small blow for you will feel it twice as hard as I will, but don't attempt to channel because you'll never be able to do that without my express command. So the collar has this power to basically nullify anything that the channeler themselves wants to do. They can only do what they are allowed to do it's kind of like imagine if you have the ability to channel but your ability to channel is now removed from you minus like a tether and it is given to someone else it's not literally given to someone else but as figuratively given to someone else and then that person says okay do this effect and then that effect is sent through that tether to you so where you can use that ability that's essentially what it does without actually removing the ability from you so it's, it's a bit of a strange concept and a contraption, but that's how it is. But Egwene's like, what's going on? She's trying to ignore Rena, but there's a collar on your neck, so it's kind of hard to ignore him. But she asks, you know, Min, are you okay? And Min's kind of like sitting on her heels going like head on her, hand on her head going, oh, that hurt. Um, and then we see jagged lightning crackling across the clear sky. And some trees in the distance are, you know, struck by because of this effect. Now, something that I thought was strange is that there's jagged lightning cross crackling across the clear sky. Now, who could this be? 
could this be Nynaeve and Elaine who are apparently missing at the moment? Or is this the, the Demone that came with them? And it's like, there's no direct explanation for this. It's just assumed. And I'm not really a big fan of assumptions in this regard. Um, just, just due to the nature of it's less information, not more information. Um, and it's just kind of assuming, like, if it's Nynaeve and Elaine, well, we know what Elaine's capabilities are for channeling. She can do glowing balls. Congratulations. <laughs> Nynaeve's stronger, but doesn't have necessarily the amount of knowledge in the area of channeling to be able to use things quite to the extent. Now, we're never given her classes. We're never given her training. It's typically not in Nynaeve's point of view. It's almost always in Egwene's point of view anytime we go to them. So we don't know if Nynaeve has had accepted classes where they're like, here's lightning, <laughs> zap. Um, so it's it's not something that it's, it's... It's not something we can necessarily brush off, but we can't necessarily given the benefit of the doubt either. So it's more likely to be the Demone and Suldam that are chasing them to be the ones who are shooting lightning. Because we know the Demone are, are capable, the Shanshan have the ability for their Demone to shoot lightning. Um, so basically, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, now, I think a lot of the stuff like the wind and whatnot, that was, I believe, something that Nynaeve did. Because, again, we know Elaine's ability. She doesn't have the ability to do anything other than bouncing glowy balls at this point. But Nynaeve has used the one power a little bit more. She is a wilder. Um, so she's, you know, got stuff that we don't necessarily know about. But we have to just kind of like assume that she learned, you know, something about wind magic and whatnot and just blasted that out of a surprise. Like, what's going on? Like, this is crazy and drops a, a big magic bomb amongst the group. And that's what causes them to escape a bit. So, Egwene realizes, though... You know, and smiles because, you know, Nynaeve's still free. And it seems that Elaine is. And if anyone could free her and men, Nynaeve could. She's like, she's like putting so much stock into Nynaeve. But her smile fades when she sees Leandrin. And she doesn't realize, whatever reason, the Aes Sedai had betrayed them. And that someday there'd be a reckoning. And she's like, somehow there will be. But the glare doesn't do any good because Leandrin doesn't look away from the High Lady Suroth. So the bare-chested men knelt, lowering the palanquin to the ground, and Suroth, you know, pops out and is arranging her robe and picking her way to Leandrin on soft, slippered feet. And the two women were basically about the same size, and brown eyes stared levelly into black. And Suroth's like, you were to bring me two, and now I have only one, while two run loose, one of them more powerful by far than I had been led to believe. And she will attract every patrol of ours within two leagues. And this next line kind of confuses everyone listening that is not in the know, but kind of gives you a little bit of an insight 
as a reader. I brought you three, Leandrin said calmly. If you cannot manage to hold them, perhaps our master should find another among you to serve him. And <laughs> so this at this point you got like, you know, our master. You could guess who it is. You might be wrong, but you can guess who it is. And depending on how you understand the behavior of Aes Sedai and Sean Chan, you can guess even harder. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one up to you guys, though, because I don't want to spoil anything in that regard. But you guys can figure out who that is. But Leandra's like, ah, it's just a trifle. If patrols show up, kill them. And I'm thinking, like, you don't think that the Sean Chan would be, like, curious about, you know, why their patrols keep going missing. Like, oh, yeah, we sent out a bunch of patrols and we had like 10 patrols go to this one area and all of them are dead. We should go check that area. And then they go to that area. There's nobody there. There's no tracks. There's no nothing. It's empty. Would make the Shanshan probably a bit cautious. But then lightning flashes in the near distance and then later something else like thunder blows up where it stri strikes and there's a dust reaching in the air and Leandrin and Seroth are just completely ignoring it. Seroth's like, well, I could return to Falmouth with my two new demone. It grieves me to allow a, ugh, an Aes Sedai, and she's kind of like a nasty thing in her mouth, to walk free. And Leandrin's face doesn't change, but suddenly you could tell Leandrin's, you know, channeling the power. And Renna's like, beware, hi lady, she stands ready. And then there's this stir among the soldiers reaching for swords and lances, but Seroth just... You know, steepled her hands, smiling at Leandrin over long nails. He's like, ah, you won't make any move against me. Our master disapprove. And I'm sure he needed here more than you. And you fear him more than you fear being made demonic. And Leandrin just smiles back. And it's just like, well, and you, Saroth, fear him more than you fear me burning you to a cinder where you stand. He's like, eh, you're, you're right. We both fear him. But our even our master needs will change with time. And then she says a word that I don't believe has been mentioned quite yet, but all Marath Damane will be leashed eventually. Now, Marath Damane, for context, is a leashed one that's not leashed yet. So it's basically a, a soon-to-be Damane, or a soon-to-be-leashed one is essentially what it means. It means someone who is capable of channeling and can be made Damane, but hasn't been made Damane because they're still free or loose. And he's like, well, maybe one day I'll be the one to place the collar on your lovely throat. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, as you say, you know, our master needs will change. And I'll remind you of the day when you kneel to me. So you got two power hungry ladies really trying to one up each other to, in favor of their master. And you're not really sure who their master is, unless you are sure of the master, because then you, you already know. Um, but then a leather leaf, perhaps a mile away, just bursts into a flame <laughs> kind of just, I I want to see these pictures like from the viewpoint of the hill looking down kind of like where they're at and then just seeing like a viewpoint between their faces and also just a tree just <laughs> turns into a flame and so I was like I'm tired of this Elbar recall them so the hook nosed man put, gets a horn about the size of his fist and it makes this horse piercing cry and Leandra's like you gotta find the woman Nynaeve Elaine doesn't matter but the woman uh, both the woman and this girl here have to be taken with you on the ships when you set sail. And Saroth's like, I know what has been commanded, Marath Damane. 
though I would give much as to know why. It's like, well, however much you, you are told, child, that is how much you are allowed to know. Remember who, that you serve and obey. The two must be removed to the other side of the Earth Ocean and kept there. Now, this is the plan by this master to do this. And later on, it'll become clear why, but not quite yet. And probably not in the way you're expecting it to be described to you. It's not very direct. But Saroth, you know, is like, oh, well, I'm not going to find, I'm not going to stick around to find this naive. My usefulness of our master will end if Tarak hands me over the secrets for truth. So Leandrin, you know, tries to open her mouth, but Saroth's just like, eh. The woman will not remain free for long, neither of them will. When we set sail again, we will take with us every woman on this miserable spit of land who can channel even slightly, leashed and collared. If you wish to remain in search for her, do so, but the patrols will be here and engaging that rebel that still hides in the countryside. Patrols take Damani with them, and they will not care what master you serve. Should you survive the encounter, the leash and the collar will teach you a new life, and I do not believe our master will trouble to deliver one foolish enough to be let herself be taken. Like... Basically, you get caught, it's your own fault, and your master's probably not going to try to save you because your usefulness is very limited if you're able to get caught so easily. And Leandra's like, well, if either one's allowed to remain here, our master will trouble himself with you, so take them both or pay the price. So she starts walking towards the way gate, clutching her mare, and it's closing behind them soonly. So the soldiers who had gone after Nynaeve and Elaine come galloping back with two women linked on the leash, collar and bracelet, Damani and Soldam running side by side, and three men leading horses with bodies across the saddles. So, the guesstimation here is that Nynaeve have killed some people <laughs> with one power. Um, and Elaine is not among that group, since Elaine is, you know, glowing balls. <laughs> oh, the White Tower is hilarious. So... There's some bodies, and they all wore armor, so not even Elaine hasn't been caught yet. So Min tries to rise to her feet, but the hook man plants a boot between her shoulder blades and drives her to the ground. So she gasps and twitches vaguely. But then he turns over to Saroth and says, I beg permission to speak, High Lady. And then, you know, she, you know, motions their hand of approval. And he's like, this peasant cut me, High Lady, and if you have no use for her, and he wants to you know, motion slightly again, like giving approval, and he reaches over his shoulder for the hilt of a sword, and Egwene shouts, no! And then Arenda's like, curses! Um, it's like, please, please, she's my friend. And then pain as she has never known racked through her body, burning and such. Muscles knotted and cramped, and she just pitched on her face in the dirt, just kind of like, basically like she got stun gunned, but more burning. Just blasts her face onto the ground. But she can see Elbar's heavy curved blade come free of the sheet and it raises both hands. He's like, oh man. But then the pain was gone and she basically just remembers that it was pain. And Saroth's blue velvet slippers, dirt stained, appear right in front of her face. And it is Elbar that she stared. He stood there with a sword over his head and all the weight of one foot and he doesn't move. And Saroth's just like, oh, this peasant is your friend. <laughs> it's like this peasant. It's like, ah, the Middle Ages and Dark Ages. I love it. This peasant. Egwene tries to rise, but, you know, the arcing of Saroth's eyebrow, she remains lying where she was and raised her head. And she's trying to, like, I have to save men. I have to save men, even if it means I have to grovel. And she parts her lip and she's like, yes, hi, lady. 
And he's like, well, if I spare her and I allow her to visit you occasionally, you will work hard and learn as you are taught. And he's like, I will, high lady. And she's probably like, I promise way more to keep that sword from splitting men's skull. And I'll even keep the promise as long as I have to. And she's kind of sour about that. Now, the strange thing is... Suroth's interest in this. Like, why would Suroth care? One way or the other, Damani will be broken. So she really doesn't care. Now... I think this is more of a plot saver, or plot armor, if you will. But essentially, that's what it is, is, is that it's saying... Um, she's trying to make it easier for the Soldom, I guess, to break this new Demani, which would add to the ranks of the Shan Shan and whatnot, and a lot of power to, to boot, because one Demani is worth hundreds, if not thousands, of soldiers. Um, which is why you don't need as many people to really take over, because you've got the ability to use magic to wipe out your enemy, where your enemy doesn't have that capacity because all the magic channelers on this side of the ocean, in my humble opinion, are morons that took some oaths for no apparent reason. But whatever. Um, now, the, downs the one thing about that is that the oaths separate them from what happened over in Shandar, which is where the Shanshan are from and how they were ruled kind of by, or a bunch of different counties essentially ruled by Aes Sedai magic users. Uh, there's a lot more history behind that. I'm not going to go into that right now because that'll really derail the whole thing. But essentially the one thing that keeps the white tower, the white tower is the fact that they are not like the others and they're not ruling the entire world with magic. Leave it at that. So the story demands men not get killed I suppose, so, you know, Soros like, eh, hey, put the girl on her horse and tie her on, and if she can't sit her saddle, you know, it is what it is, tie her down. If this Damani proves to be a disappointment, then perhaps I will let you have the head of the girl. And then she just starts walking towards her palanquin. So you can tell Elbar's probably a little miffed, but, you know, he does as he's told because High Lady Soroth says so. So Elbar's not any gentler with Min than Rena with her, but she thinks, you know, at least Min's okay. And Min tries to shrug off Elbar's attempt to tire across the saddle and climbed on the gelding with only a little bit of help. So then this strange group starts heading westward with Saroth leading and Elbar slightly to the rear of her palanquin, but close enough to be summoned immediately, be right there. Renan Egwene rode in the back with Min and the other Soldam and Damane behind the soldiers. The woman who apparently meant to call her naive fondled the, the coiled silver leash and kind of looks angry. It's like, oh man, culture's man. And Rena's like, you were honored that the high lady spoke to you. And other times I would have let you wear a ribbon to mark the honor. It's like, it's literally, it's a dog show at this point. Um, but since you caught the attention, brought the attention on yourself, in other words, like, because you didn't, point the attention to me, your soldom, I'm upset with you. In other words, brings, you know, pain of a switch being lashed across her back and one across her leg and arm. And she doesn't really know. There's no way to block it or anything. And this is the weird, strange concept. It's essentially 
it's self-inflicted with the control like that tether i was talking about earlier it's self-inflicted like this is all Egwene using the one power allegedly but it's it it may or may not be the one power it's it's a strange thing with these collars that i haven't really completely figured out because it kind of leans both directions and it's not like a huge description based off of that but essentially um it's either Egwene uses the one power with Rena the Suldam in control and directs it back at Egwene or it's Rena's wish that she feels something and that collar basically does that feeling on her Egwene specifically um it's it's a very strange contraption and it's a little bit mysterious in that regard but it's got a lot of cool functions to it but needless to say Egwene tries to stop her moans and you know tears rolling down her cheeks Bella whinnies and dance but Rena's grip on that leash keeps her from carrying Egwene away um soldiers don't even look back and Min's like what are you doing stop it and Rena's like hey Min right you live on sufferance so let this be a lesson for you as well as long as you try to to interfere, it won't stop. So Min raised a fish, then let it fall. It's like, I'm not going to fear. Just make it stop. I'm sorry, Egwene. Then the unseen blows went on for a few moments more so to show that Min, you know, your intervention doesn't do anything. But then stops. And Egwene's kind of like shuddering and there's pain. Doesn't go away. Because it's not her feeling what Rena's feeling. It's her legitimately getting hurt. So she thinks she's going to see welts, but her skin's unmarked and the feel of them is still there. But she's like, it's not your fault, man. It wasn't yours either. As she pats Bella. Rena's like, it was your fault, Egwene. When a Damani is punished, it'll always be her fault. Even if she does not know why. A Damani must anticipate what her soul dom wants. But this time you do know why. Damani are like furniture or tools. Always there to, ready to be used, but never pushing themselves forward for attention especially not for the attention of one of the blood. High Lady Seroth being one of the blood. So this is a cultural description of how the Shan Shan treat Damane, or people who can channel. Like, you are less than human, you're just something for me to use. Now, to be fair, you could say they do the same thing to their soldiers. Soldiers are there as tools. They're, they're ready to be used, and they're there to do as they're told. And since the Shan Shan have a very strict ranks policy, where in some countries, if you, you know, acted out a little bit of this, that, it might get you a medal or something because you saved someone because you, you disobeyed an order, but it, you know, saved the day. It's okay. But in this case, you save the day and you break an order, it's probably going to cost you your life, even if they give you a medal right before they chop your head off. Um it's it's again different cultures and a lot of people are like oh the shan chen are so evil because again this is how they have been this is how they know things that's that's it's the way modern life is now there are some countries who still use slavery there's some nations who still beat people because their gender or because of their you know if they're in in shape or if they're disabled like people are treated differently in different cultures all the time because how that culture values people or things in general so in that sense you can't really like get mad every time you see a culture that's different doing something you don't like because there's always a culture that 
doesn't like what you do in your culture. So it's kind of, it's, it's a very strange thing, but the nice part about it is that it does bring some uniqueness to what could be considered a very mundane world. If all the cultures were the exact same, it brings something new. Um, the Aeol are another one that brings something new. The Sharans, whenever we get to them, they bring something new. They're, they're different in it from pretty much every other culture. They have their own honor systems. They have no honor systems. They have uh, their way they do war. They have their way of running countries. Everything can be completely different. So you can't just be like, oh, I hate that. Well, I mean, you can't. You could say, I hate them because of X, Y, and Z. It'd just be kind of silly, honestly, uh, to do so because that's all they've ever known. They have never known any other way. And they think themselves superior to all other nations because now I'm not saying that the superiority thing is going to go off the rails, but when an empire comes across another empire, which empire thinks they're superior to the other, both, they both think they are better than the others because they think they're the strong ones. They think all that fun stuff, I guess, um, it's people overreact. I'll, I'll leave it at that people overreact with how they treat everything in our culture. Is it good? No. Is our culture relevant in the series? Also no, because it's not our culture. It's totally different culture. Thousands and thousands of years later where our culture will be dead and buried way beyond this point. And they'll have totally different values and totally different things. It's, it, it's totally different for a reason. So because of this, Egwene's like, I can't, I can't, this can't be real. Why did Leandrin do this? What's happening? It's a nightmare. And she's like, may I ask a question? And Rena's like, of me, you can. Many Soldam will wear your bracelet over the years. And there are many more Sudam than Nemane. And some would have your hide in strips if you took your eyes off the floor or open your mouth without permission. But I see no reason not to let you speak as long as you are careful of what you say. And the other Soldam, or one of the other Soldams, like, snorts loudly. And she's linked to a pretty dark-haired woman in her middle years who keeps her eyes in her hands. And I'm like, I feel like you have really useless tools that they're not allowed to, like, peruse the world. Like, you have to be ready for everything I need. But if you can't see my facial expressions, how are you going to know these things? Now, one could say that the collar will basically tell you that they're happy or not happy, sad, angry, or anything of that nature. And in that case, they want to do something. But... If you're like, you have to put your life on the line to save your soul, Dom. It's like, well, attention awareness is kind of a necessary thing. Because what if somebody's like, well, there's a monster out there that just jumps out and leaps at the soul, Dom. How is the Dolomani going to do anything? How would the Dolomani be able to do anything anyway? Because the Dolomani needs permission to channel in order to save them. I feel like there's problems with the system. But okay. And she's like, so Leandrin and the High Lady spoke of a master they both serve. Who is he? What does he want with me and Min? And he doesn't wants to. It's kind of avoid naming naive is kind of silly, but you know, they're not just going to forget her because her name wasn't mentioned. But the blue-eyed tsunami stroking the empty leash is also not going to forget. But it's just like, well, the affairs of the blood are not for me to take notice of, and certainly not for you. The high lady will tell me what she wishes to know, and I will tell you what I wish you to know. But anything else you hear or see must be as if you never said it or never happened. This way lies safety. See, this is the cultural aspect. This is how safety is met in the Shan Shan society. 
all these soldiers here will work for pretty much anyone who, I guess, deems necessary by the high blood or whatever. So these 50 soldiers could be working for High, high Lord Turok, you know, a month from now or 10, 10 minutes from now for all, you know, like they could be working forever, but they keep their tongue in their mouth and they don't say nothing because you don't want to get into a fight or get in between a fight between the blood because you're probably going to become a casualty doing that because you are not of the blood. So your value is lower than a blood. Even if the blood is demoted, they'll still be above you unless they're like demoted literally to death. And even then your life is value as value is less than that of the blood. So the safety is whatever you see or hear, it was never said and it never happened. But in this case, you know, it's safety for, uh, especially for a Demani. Demani are too valuable to be killed out of hand, but you might find yourself not only soundly punished, but absent a tongue to speak or hands to write. Demani can do what they must without these things. So in order to channel, you can do things without being able to say anything or be able to uh, use your hands. Which means to channel, you don't have to say anything and you don't need your hands to do anything. Which sounds contradictory to what we've heard uh, the channeling being described. But essentially, some people use hands as like a focus. So they'll use their hands to make magic almost as if they're like taking things like you know they take their hands and they make it into like a ball so you think they're making like a ball of fire a ball of air and how they do that isn't even necessary you can do everything without that that's just how they use it like a focus which is a focus is literally just a, an item or something that you concentrate on in order to make something so a focus could be in like moraine's case she has like this little wand kind of like staff thing that she can use as a focus and she, i think she mentions this later on in the series where uh it's 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 not required it's or actually no this is probably in, i believe it was in the eye of the world where she was explaining to um Egwene what was going on with channeling and whatnot that was just it's just it's just a stick but you can focus into it and it helps some people concentrate on how to use channeling so in this case it's basically saying we can basically make the demone do what they need to do without a tongue or hands. So going, you know, it's like, Oh, this is horrible. How can you do this? What diseased mind ever thought of this? And of course the blue eyed Soldam with the empty leash is like, this one could do without her tongue already, Rena. But Rena's kind of just smiling patiently. And again, from the Sean Chan perspective, this kind of explains it. How is it horrible? Could we allow anyone to run loose who can do what a demone can? Sometimes men are born who would be Marath Damane if they were women. It is so here also, I have heard. And they must be killed, of course. Now, I'm going to pause there for the purpose of that's basically men who could channel who are going to go crazy because of sighting being tainted. It's a worldwide event, not a localized event. But with women, but the women do not go mad. Better for them to become Damane than make trouble contending for power. As for the mind that first thought of the Idom, which is the caller, it was the mind of a woman who called herself Aes Sedai. Boom! Mind blown. So, a woman who calls herself an Aes Sedai makes the Idom, but also 
Damane who are not leashed, in other words, Marath Damane, or women who could channel, uh, contending for power. This is the history of Shan Shan. This is how they dealt with Shan, uh, with the, the broken up countries before it fully became a, a unified Shan Shan, was the Idom. So they use this in their culture to basically unify and strengthen their nation. And yeah, you could say colonization, you could say conquest, you could say whatever you want. Essentially, they solidified power, which is what armies who go places to land and settle and stuff do, regardless of what your background is. So throw that out there. Um, Egwene's just kind of like staring at her and Rena laughs openly at just the look on Egwene's face. It's just Egwene's looking at her like she's crazy. And here we get a bit of a history lesson. When Luther Pandrag Mondwin, son of the Hawkwing, first faced of the armies of the night, he found many among them who called themselves Aes Sedai. They contended for power among themselves and used the one power on the field of battle. One such, a woman named Dien, who thought she could do better serving the emperor, he was not emperor then, of course, since he had no Aes Sedai in his armies, came to him with a device that she had made, the first Idom, fastened to the neck of one of her sisters. Though that woman did not want to serve Luher, the Idom required her to serve. Dane made more Idom, the first Soldom were found, and women were captured, or women were captured who called themselves Aes Sedai discovered they were in fact the only Marath Damane, those who must be leashed. It is said that when she herself was leashed, Dane's screams took the Towers of Midnight, but of course she, too, was a Marath Damane, and Marath Damane cannot be allowed to run free. Perhaps you'll be one of those who has the ability to make Idom. If so, you'll be pampered. You may be rest assured. So literally the history is that the Aes Sedai betrayed the Aes Sedai. By Aes Sedai, I mean woman who could channel because technically at, at that point there was no White Tower with the three oaths applying to everyone. The, the White Tower in this continent or on this continent was the exclusive one who dealt with the uh, oaths the way they do um, everywhere across the world, other continents, all the places on the planet that are not dis dis like discovered or talked about um, may have Aes Sedai still in those areas that are still around doing their things, not the same way these other two continents are doing it. So basically this one Aes Sedai creates this item in order to curry favor, but doesn't realize that she's a moron and pretty much dooms herself alongside all these other things. And by her being collared, now she has to make more of these idom and being able to use the one power to make things that do other things like Turangriel and whatnot, because that's essentially what an idom is really, um, is a lost art. So being able to, to do this, like making an idom, I don't know if it would be something that you can do specifically or if it's just a byproduct of being able to make Tirangrel. That's essentially what you could do. Um, but they, they treasure those because obviously if you have the people who make Idom, if the Idom are the art of making Idom is lost, it's not a good thing for the Shanshan because they will eventually run out. There will eventually be more Damane than there will be, or Marath Damane, than there will be Collars to basically take care of them, which 
will eventually threaten them. So they really pamper those ones. So Gawain looks at the countryside and she's just like, you know, am I supposed to be looking forward to be pampered like a pet dog? A lifetime of being chained to men and women who think I'm some kind of animal? And Rena's like, oh, not men. All Suldam are women. If a woman put on this bracelet, most of the time it would be no different than if it were hanging on a peg on the wall. And then a blue-eyed Sildam puts in a little bit more harshly. And sometimes you and he would both die screaming. The woman had sharp features and a tight, thin-lipped mouth. And Egwene realized the anger was apparently a permanent expression. <laughs> Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> it's like, from time to time, the Empress plays with the Lords by linking them to a Demani. It makes the Lords sweat and entertains the Court of the Nine Moons. The Lord never knows until it is done whether he will live or die, and neither does the Demani. And her laugh is a little bit vicious because of this. And Renna snaps at her. is like, only the Empress can afford to waste Demane in this way, Alwyn. And I don't mean to train the Demane, only simply have her thrown away. And Renna's just like, well, Alwyn's like, well, I haven't seen any training at all, Renna. And just a bunch of chatter, and as if you and this Demane were girlhood friends. And Renna's like, hmm, maybe it's time to see what she can do. Do you have enough control yet to channel at that distance? She points to this, you know, tall oak standing on a hilltop. And Egwene frowns the tree about a half a mile roughly uh followed by the soldiers in Saros palanquin and she had never tried anything beyond arm's reach but she thought it might be possible she's like i'm not sure runner's like eh try feel the tree feel the sap of the tree i want you to make it not all not only hot but so hot that every drop of sop of the branch flashes to steam instant do it so going you know is surprised that she has this urge to do as Rena commands, another byproduct of the uh, IDOM. And she didn't channel or even touch Sidar in two days, and she, the desire to fill herself with the one power made her like shiver. And she's like, ah, and I, and but instead of saying will not, it becomes a foolish, you know, like I cannot. She finishes, it's too far. I've never done anything like that before. And the Soldom laughs hilariously and Alwyn was like she never even tried Serena shook her head almost sadly is like when one becomes a soul nom long enough one learns to tell many things about a demonite even without the bracelet but with the bracelet one can always tell when a demonite has tried to channel you must never lie to me or a soul dom not even by a hair but then the invisible switch has come back and strike her everywhere and she yells and tries to hit Rena, but the soul dom just knocks her fist away casually and Egwene's like feeling as if Renna had hit her arm with a stick. She digs her heels into Bella's lengths, but the Soldom's grip on the, the, the leash nearly pulls her out of the saddle. But she tries to reach for Sidar, meaning to hurt Renna enough to make her stop, just to kind of hurt that she herself had been given. But the Soldom shook her head wryly, and Egwene howled as her own skin was oddly scalded. And it's, when she got away from Sidar, like trying to use it, did she begin to fade? And then the unseen blows never ceased or slowed, but she tries to shout that she would try if only Rena would stop. She managed to scream and ride. That's all she really managed to do. Then she's aware of Min shouting angrily and trying to ride back, of Alwyn tearing, uh, tearing Min's reins away from her hands, and another Soldom speaking sharply to Romani, look at Min. And then Min was yelling now, flapping, is trying to ward off blows of singing insects. And then their cries just... <laughs> I'm just like, you're literally going to bring every... like. If there are patrols around, which there are because they've already mentioned it, you're going to bring every single patrol down upon you. Every single one of them. Just from women just screaming out loud, like, 
what is this noise? Patrols show up like, what's going on here? <laughs> um, but then it seems to go on forever, but then finally it ends and she just, you know, lays on the, the cantle of her saddle and she's just sobbing in Bella's mane. And, you know, of course, Bella's uneasy about this. And I was like, it's good that you have spirit, but the best amani are those who have spirit to be shaped and molded. And Egwene, you know, keeps her eyes shut and holds them as tight as she can. And she's like, she just wants to close her ears too. And she's like, I have to get away. I have to. Nanive, help me. Somebody help me. Light. And Rena's like, you will be one of the best. And she strokes Egwene's hair, a mistress soothing her dog. And yes, it's very infuriating. Trust me. I, I, it drives me nuts. But again, it's their culture, how they do things trying to understand it from your stance it's not going to help you very much you have to understand it from their perspective again they had a very very bloody history of taking over what is now shan chan it's it's not a simple thing it's not a casual thing it's a pretty blatantly it's it's a history of bodies put it that way so they had to learn to do something a specific way in order for, to work on this side, they don't have that issue because the three oaths, but simultaneously because of the three oaths, the Aes Sedai are more or less weaker than they could be, especially against this kind of a, fo a foe. But now we're going to change viewpoints to Nynaeve. And she's, you know, hanging out of her saddle, looking around a bunch of prickly leaf shrubs. And... She's just looking around and nothing's moving. She can't see anything. And this leather leaf that had exploded into fire had been her work. And the, the <laughs> it says, and what's the lightning called the clear sky? A few other things she had not thought to try until those women tried them on her. Basically, she did a quick lesson with the, uh, the Demane and Soldam that were chasing her had used lightning on her. So she saw their weaves saw how they did it, turn around and use it on them. So she's a quick learner. We get that from her, but she hadn't thought about doing that beforehand. So she's not learned the stuff in the white tower. It's just, she learned really quick out of sheer necessity and utilized it. And that's how we got those three bodies. And Nynaeve doesn't know anything about Soldam. She doesn't know anything about Demane. All she knows is that these Aes Sedai are trying to uh, attack her and deal damage to her and capture her or whatever, which she should know better since there is Aes Sedai and there is Aes Sedai and the only Aes Sedai she's ever known would not be able to do that. But again, reader's perspective, not the character's perspective. Um, she had never seen a clear enough sight to see them channeling, but that's what it had to be. She could see the weave, but not the people. And she's like, oh, I'm going to take pleasure in telling Sherry I'm about them. I said, I don't use their power as a weapon, do they? <laughs> and again, it's just her own ignorance. It's whatever. But she had definitely used one. She had knocked the two women down with a lightning strike. And one of the soldiers, too, or at least his body, burned from the ball of fire she made and hurled at them. And she hadn't seen any of the strangers at all for some time. And she's, she's sweating. And it's not from exertion. It's just she's not, you know, able to use Sidar. And she can't bring it back because she's got her own little block going on. What really got her going was this fury of knowing that Leandrin had betrayed them. 
Sidar had been there basically before she knew it, and powers filling her, and she felt like she could do anything. And this is essentially just this massive explanation of how everything came to be the way she came to be. Um, the longer she had gone without seeing the enemy she could strike, the more she began to worry that they might be sneaking up on her. But she's not she's not sure what happened to Egwene, Elaine, and Min. <clears throat> and now that she has to admit that she feels more fear than less anger. Fear for Egwene, Elaine, and Min, and also a little bit fear for herself, but it was, anger was what she needed. But suddenly, there's a stirring behind a tree, and her breath you know, catches up, and she's fumbling for Sidar, but all the exercises that Shiryam and all of her teachers and fellow accepted had been going over with stuff, blossoms unfolding in her mind, all that stuff, riverbanks. She can sense the source, but she can't touch it. But then Elaine steps behind the tree in a very wary crouch, and Anive just sags with relief, just like, oh. Her Elaine's dress is dirty and torn. Her golden hair is a tangle of snarls and leaves. You know, she's searching wide for anything dangerous or whatever, like a frightened fawn, but she holds a short-bladed dagger in a steady hand. And Anive just picks up a rain and rows to the open, and, you know, Elaine jumps convulsively, but her hand goes to her throat, and she draws a, a deep breath. Nanive dismounts, and they hug. And Elaine's like, oh, I thought you were uh, I thought you were one of them for a moment, but you know where they are? The two men are following me, and another few minutes they would have caught me, but a horn sound, and they just turned their horses and left. Like, they could see me, and they just left. It's like, yeah, I heard it too, but I haven't seen anything since then. Have you seen Egwene or Min? It's like, not since that man knocked Min off of her horse and knocked her down. One of those women was trying to put something around Egwene's neck. I saw that much before I disappeared. Uh, I don't think they got away. I, I should have done something. Min cut the hand that was holding me, and Egwene... I just ran. I realized I was free, and I ran. Mother had better marry Gareth Bryn and have another daughter as soon as she can. I'm not fit to take the throne. Truer words have never been spoken. It's just... <laughs> Oh, uh, yes. Uh, let, let's just say Elaine drives me up a wall. <clears throat> um, and he's just like, whatever, don't be a goose. Remember, I have a packet of sheep's tongue root among my herbs. And Elaine had her head in her hands. You know, doesn't really produce much of a murmur, even though it's supposed to be intended to be kind of a humorous jibe. And he's like, hey, listen to me. Did you stay, CB stay to fight 20 or 30 men armed? mentioned I said I if we had waited most likely that would be pretty much you and me bring prisoner and they didn't just kill us outright and they seem to be interested in Egwene and me for some reason and she's thinking to herself like why are they why would they be interested in Egwene and me like why us specifically and why did a Leandrin do this and she doesn't have any answers any more than she had asked her the first time she had asked herself and Elaine's like, but if I had died trying to help them, it's like, they need to be dead, and little good you'd be to them. To yourself or to them, for that matter. Um, now get on your feet, brush off your dress, and fix your hair. And he pulls out a hairbrush out of her side of the back. So Elaine gets up and takes the brush, and he's like, you sound like Lenny, my old nurse. And he's like, but how are we going to help them, Nynaeve? Like, you may be as strong as a full sister when you're angry, but they have women who can channel too. And I can't think their eyes to die, but they might as well be. We don't even know what direction they took them. And now he's like, oh, West, that creature Seroth mentioned Falma. And that's as far west as Toman Head as you can go. We'll go to Falma. And I hope Leandra's there because I want to make her curse the day her mother laid eyes on her father. But 
I think we need to find some clothes from this country. I've seen Terabonor and Damani women in the tower, and what they wear is nothing like what we have on. We should stand out like fall like strangers. And Elaine's like, oh, well, I wouldn't mind a Damani dress. Damani, not Damani. Damani dress. The mother would surely have a fit if she ever found out I'd worn one, and Liddy would never let me hear the end of it. We find a village, and even if we find a village, can we afford one? I don't even know how much money you have, but I only have ten gold, and perhaps twice that in silver. Will that keep us? That will keep us probably two or three weeks. But I don't know what we were gonna do once we run out of that. And now he's thinking like a few months as a novice in Tarval, and it's not stopped you thinking like the heir of a throne. I don't have a tenth of what you do, but altogether it'll keep us two or three months in comfort. <laughs> gold is not a common thing outside of like merchantry and the wealthy so if you show up with gold you're going to be able to get a lot of stuff with it just like um i have no intention of buying dresses and they won't be new in any case um my gray silk dress will do some good for all the pearls and gold thread if we can't find a woman who trade us two or three sturdy change uh, changes for that i will give you this ring and i'll be the novice so she jumps into her saddle and reached down to pull Elaine up behind her. Since apparently Elaine doesn't have her own horse. It's like, well, what are we going to do when we reach Falma? He's like, I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But are you sure you want to do this? It's going to be dangerous. It's like, how is this going to be any more dangerous than a going for a going into men? Like they would come for us if our circumstances were reversed. I know they would. So we're going to just stick around here for all the time. So Elaine digs her heels in and the mare jumps off. So Nadiv, you know, turns the horse to the sun and it's, short of its noonday crest um shining at their backs like well we're gonna have to be cautious the ICDI know how to recognize a woman who could channel just by being within arm's length of them so they may be able to pick us out of a crowd if they're looking for us and we better assume that they are and it's like oh they're definitely looking for a granny me but really why were they and elaine's like yeah cautious you were right before i'm not doing good to men or Egwene, getting ourselves caught you think it was all lies? What if Leandrin told us about Rand being in danger and the others? I said, I do not lie. And this is where it's like, from the reader perspective, you might have picked up on this. But from uh, Nynaeve's perspective, it's just like, you know, the oaths that women take upon being raised to full sisterhood. The old spoke of uh, holding a tear on Grial, but bound her to keep them, to speak no word that is not true. And that's one of them, but everyone knew that the truth that I said I said might not be the truth you thought you heard. And it's like, well, I expect Rand is warming his feet in front of Lord Agomar's fire in Faldara this minute. And she's like, I can't really, I can't worry about him. I have to think about Egwene and Min. And Lane's like, I suppose. And she sighs. It's very far to Falma. And I, need, I expect you to ride in the saddle half the time. This is not a very comfortable seat. Or she's like, I expect to ride in that saddle. Um, we will never reach Falma if you let this horse set out her own pace the whole way. And Nynaeve booted the mare to a quick trot and Elaine yelped and cut, catches at her cloak. And Nynaeve told herself that she would take a turn riding behind and not complain if Elaine put the horse into a gallop. But for the most part, she ignores <laughs> Elaine's gasp bouncing behind her. And she's a bit busy hoping that by the time they reach Falma, she can stop being afraid and start being angry. And... The cold air kind of gives them a feel of what they're to expect. And that's it for the end of the chapter. And uh, again, it didn't have a whole lot of like hyper excitement to it, but it did have a lot of brain teasers. 
and you got to figure out a lot of things, but we get that cultural grouping of basically how their culture is like the Shan Shan are kind of a fascinating society. And from our perspective, culturally, their society is actually not a bad society minus the couple hiccups that we call the Demane. Um, and they're not much different than what you expect of most medieval or Renaissance kind of like empires in terms of like who gets to be in charge and what the people below those people have to do. But, um, yeah, so not, 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 not a terrible chapter. Not my favorite chapter. Like my favorite chapters are the ones with Matt, but that's just cause I like Matt. He's my favorite, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What did you guys think? Um, if there's any information that you thought I got wrong or whatever, and you've parsed it together, I'd love to hear about it. Um, if you guys want to hear about something a bit more specific, uh, I'd also love to hear about that. Um, anytime you guys want to chat with me or whatever, you can reach me at my Gmail, which is tales of red arm at gmail.com or on Facebook, which is just Tales of Red Arm, or on Twitter, which you'll probably get a lot more information from since people typically are on Twitter more than they are on Facebook, and not a whole lot of people really message me on my direct email, but I do get a decent amount of conversation from Twitter, so at uh, Tales of Red Arm would be the easiest way to reach me that way, but uh, would definitely love to hear from you guys, uh, what things you're enjoying in the content, if you uh, are enjoying the lore dives per chapter and whatnot, but I love hearing from you guys. So hopefully you will, uh, share with your friends. If anybody, you know, would enjoy this kind of content or even if they wouldn't just tell them so they know, um, maybe they'll enjoy joining in a conversation with you or something, but I'd love to hear from you guys. So, uh, definitely looking forward to the next chapter slash episode chapter 41. We're getting so close couple more weeks and we'll pretty much be done with book two and we'll be jumping into book three. So we're looking forward to that. So I guess for now we'll call it good and look forward to seeing you guys next time. So until then. We drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will send our pay and when we're done then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall When some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow young Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall When some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.